Welcome to House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. If you're ready to get your physical, emotional, and spiritual life in order, join us for the next hour as we meet some interesting people who will share stories of success and wisdom that you can apply to your own life. Now, here's Dr. Connie. Welcome to House Calls, and this is our November show. I'm your host, Dr. Connie Mariano, and I am so honored today to have a special guest in studio. But before I go to my guest, I always start off my shows by naming people who are very special to us, our listeners and our friends of this show. So let me list all the people I know who listen in who are celebrating birthdays in the month of November. Ron Burns, who is a, an old friend of mine for 22 years, is having a birthday. Tom Skaglione, whose wife, uh, Lisa, was one of my dearest friends. Margie Jones is my uh, former mother-in-law, but she's always sort of Grammy to me. She uh, is the grandmother of my 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 two sons. I've known her most of my life. Just an amazing woman. Happy birthday, Grammy. Judy McGuire, another good friend of mine from my days in San Diego and Washington, D.C. and here in Arizona. Dr. Jeff Zeig. Happy birthday, Jeff. I was honored to do his marriage uh, to beautiful Dr. Julian A., who's been on our show many times. I've done their ceremony uh, this year, actually three times, and that actually requires another show to talk about that, but the, the most recent ceremony was in Sorrento on June 20th, so happy birthday, Jeff. Mark Brinkmeyer, Bob Houston, Sarah LaBelle, happy birthday, my dear friend Georgia Bunn, who has been on this show before, who's probably having her birthday I think uh, in Arizona, happy birthday, dear Georgia, Sally Gardner, Dr. Christine McKenna in Boston, uh, my dentist friend from the USS Prairie, Greg Wiley, an old friend of ours, Frank Brown, and my oldest friend, Vicki Valdez, who I met probably a little bit after kindergarten in Pearl Harbor when our fathers were both in the Navy and stationed in the same quarter. So, boy, a long time ago, dear Vicki, happy birthday. Happy anniversary this month to Paula and Alan Sears. Alan uh, is the former founder of Alliance for Defending Freedom. He's since retired, but helps a lot of CEOs with their businesses and is very active in the community with that. And he's been on our show uh, in the past talking about uh, presidential, actually he talked about Eisenhower. He wrote a book about Eisenhower and how President Eisenhower was very religious and spiritual and how that carried on in his presidency. And again, a wonderful general, General Eisenhower, he honored him. Also this month, my private practice turns 18 years old on November 11th, and it keeps going strong. I, I added on an extra visit, a new physician, Dr. Linda Eller, who is my uh, guest on my show last month. It was the, I call it the, the young doc, old doc, meaning me, the old doc, and she's the young doc uh, show. So I'm so grateful that the practice continues, that we take care of our patients, that we have a great team working. And I want it to continue for as long as I'm here and beyond. So that's the goal. My late husband was a Harvard MBA who worked on companies. And he said, he told me that the uh, that 95% of companies that are private businesses, uh, 95% of uh you know, private businesses fail in the first five years. So the fact that we've gone on to 18 years and continue to be profitable and contribute back to society and help people is, is really something that we're very proud of. November 11th is also very special to me uh, and to many other people because it it is Veterans Day. It honors military veterans of the U.S. Armed Forces. And it's the day this month that we salute our men and women in uniform, uh, I always think there are very few jobs uh, out there in which you raise your hand and you pledge that you would actually die for your job. Now, how many of you out there would say, yeah, you know, I die for the company. No, would you really? Would you really die for your company? You know, and to put up hardship and separation from family. And if you look at all the hours we spend as, as active duty, it's like less than minimal wage, right? They send you to places around the world pe- where People shoot at you and want to kill you. And and rather than run away from the fire, our veterans or actually our active duty personnel are running towards the fire. And so we honor them on Veterans Day because they defend our country and they and they also defend those that our country supports. And I'm really blessed and I count my blessings many times. I'm very proud that to have served 24 years active duty uh, since uh, 2000, uh, since I retired uh 
prior to 2001. I grew up in a military family, as I'd stated before. My father was uh, 30 years active duty enlisted, uh, retired at the rank of Master Chief, which is the highest enlisted rank. His family, his brothers and his uncles all joined the Navy starting in the 1940s, actually the 1920s. Those are his uncles. When there was an agreement between the United States and the Philippines that Filipino uh, young men could join the U.S. Navy, became American citizens and have a great career, as my father did in the U.S. Navy. And I was born on a military base, Sangley Point, and I uh, came to the U.S. through Pearl Harbor, which was my dad's duty station when I was two years old. So long history of the armed forces there. And in fact, one time I counted up how many cumulative years my family has served in the U.S. armed forces. And it comes to be over 200 years, Army, Navy, Air Force of my family serving uh, in the military. Uh, my aunt, my father's aunt, actually my father's cousin, Sharit Mariano was one of the first uh, Filipino warrant officers. So she's the first officer in our group. And I was the uh, first uh, rear admiral flag officer among all the Filipinos of Filipino descent in the U.S. military. My brother, uh, Angel or Angel, uh, was also active duty uh, through ROTC, nuclear power engineer, uh, had interviewed under Hyman Rickover. So he had also that honor. So we're so grateful and blessed to have served this wonderful country. Uh, in our years of service, we've only lost one family member uh, on active duty uh, who died on active duty. It was my cousin, Jude Mariano, who died uh, about 14 years ago. He was stationed in Qatar. He was Air Force. He worked for the IT department and he was there, TAD, temporary active duty to support the general. And he was coming back from Liberty with a bunch of military personnel from his squadron. They're going back to the military base. And there was a car accident. He was in a van and he was ejected. Uh, he, I, I assume he wasn't wearing a seatbelt, but he was ejected from the van and then was in the ICU there for quite a while. Uh, they couldn't, they couldn't sustain him. They couldn't bring him back. And he came home through Dover in a body bag. And I, I got to speak at his, at his memorial, actually at his funeral. And that was a very difficult time, uh, to do that, to bury your young. Uh, so we really, you know, need time to pause and look at har the hardship that our veterans go through. And it isn't just your service to this country ends when you stop wearing the uniform. It carries on when you move on into civilian life and how it impacts you, because it's got to impact you in some way. And I know they've done studies of post-traumatic stress disorder and, and the impact and the high suicide rate of our veterans. You know, you, you look at the servicemen and women who served in uh, World War II, in uh, the Korean War, and in Vietnam, and a lot of them, definitely the World War II vets, whoever we have remaining, don't really talk about that. They don't go there. They, they don't bring it up. They don't talk about it. But there's a high depression rate, anxiety, uh, heart disease rate. They suffer silently, and it's it's a difficult thing. And we wonder, you know, how can we help take care of those who served our country? And so the perfect guest for this show is somebody I respect and honor and somebody who actually invited me to be on his podcast. So he is probably a way better podcast blog person than I. And and, and I, I always learn, listened, and love being interviewed by other people in media. So our guest today in studio is Danny Mayberry. Uh, he invited me uh, through actually his wife, Leanne, who's quietly here in studio being very supportive. And she's an executive producer for his show, as well as in television and media. But I think they reached out through uh, my office to invite me to be on his podcast, which I did a couple months ago. And I was so impressed by Danny's ability to be so articulate and calm and thoughtful. And just his story is so heart rendering and his cause is so meaningful that I needed to bring him on this show, especially for Veterans Day. So his bio is amazing. And it, actually, I, it should you should write his book. Danny, you need to write a book. You need to do a screenplay. Danny is a Navy veteran. Go Navy. He is a Navy veteran who served as a hospital corpsman for three combat deployments to Iraq and Afghanistan. After Danny came home, he transitioned out of the military. He began his struggles with post-traumatic stress disorder and mental health. Danny worked very hard to build a community, focus on overall health, 
and he started a podcast called One Mile, One Veteran. And its mission is to help prevent veteran suicide by sharing stories, providing resources, and really just connecting with veterans as a community. So each episode that Danny hosts is approximately 22 minutes long. That's the average time. So why why 22 minutes? And he says, well, it's it that's the time it takes to walk one mile, 22-minute mile. And it's an active podcast in which he encourages you to listen to it while you're out walking that one mile. So you're engaged in physical activity, get your mind going, and increases your endorphin level. And the physical act of walking one mile is enough to interrupt negative thoughts, right? It's very therapeutic. You rise your endorphins. And it lifts you out of that down mood and improves your overall health. And that's really proven in longevity studies. People who walk do a lot of walking. Physical activity is really your way towards longevity and mental health. So in 2024, Danny's wife and producer, Leanne, will, will be traveling to 50 states, which they're doing now. That's why they're here in Arizona, to continue their mission. They want to go to all 50 states. So if you look onto their website, I encourage you all to go to their website. Please look at that. Listen to his podcast. Please support their efforts, which totally support. And their website is www.1mile1veteran.com or support them directly at Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash one mile, one veteran. And that's a way to help them. So Danny, thanks for being here today. It was such a pleasure. It's it's interesting to hear my bio read, considering uh, I'm usually ta- in, introducing our guests and and kind of gushing over the people that we have on our show because they're all incredible individuals, um, from everyday veterans to uh, you know Vietnam POWs, and then individuals like yourself who are celebrities within the veteran community, having an opportunity to work at the White House and go on and write your own book and memoir. So thank you for such a generous introduction. And I'm just so honored to be here in Arizona uh, chatting with you. You know, I look at you and it's too bad we're not not doing the video part because Danny is so full of life. His eyes are bright and he's very attractive, very handsome. And you said you also, well, we'll talk about the acting part. Okay. He's got many talents. First of all, he's a your hospital corpsman and I would love to hire you, but you're not, you know, you're not doing hospital corpsman work because they, you know, always hire a veteran because definitely for hospital corpsman, they call you the biggest honor they pay to their hospital corpsman. What do they call you? Doc. They call you doc because they respect you. And you are their doc. You, you're you the person who takes care of them. You, you've got an honorary MD. They trust you more than the kid who graduated from four years med school and is, you know, they're trying to figure it out. I mean, when I worked in the fleet for two years, I always looked to my corpsman, my hospital corpsman, independent IDT, independent corpsman. They knew so much because they knew how to handle it. They knew how to get things done. They knew how to take care of people. Their, their crew, their sailors trusted them. You know, they trust you with their lives. Yeah. You guys are the, the guys in the field. They, they, you know, they get shot, they get injured, they get blasted. You guys, you know, bring them home. You resuscitate them. I mean, you did it all. So how did you wind up in the military? So for me, I grew up along the East Coast. Uh, I was one of three children of a single mother. Uh, and she struggled with her own mental health disorder. So we were, we were living in poverty, traveling around. And my father and several members of my family had been in the military. And then when my older brother finally joined, I was in the eighth grade and he took me on the tiger, uh, on a tiger cruise on the USS Truman. Mm-hmm. And he made me promise that after I graduated high school, I would join. Wow. And good recruiting. Yeah. And so five high schools later, I, I kept my promise and, and went to boot camp seven days after I graduated high school. And how was that for you? It was rough in the beginning. Uh, it was, it was difficult to follow through with the decision because um, I had some academic scholarships that I had to turn down to go this route. I had considered going the officer route, mm-hmm. but uh, because my family had the enlisted background, mm-hmm. they were kind of adamant that I enlist first and then go officer. Huh. And uh, I started off in aviation, uh, got stationed back in my hometown well, alongside my older brother. And I just did not focus on my career. I actually... Um, Almost got kicked out a few times because of drinking and just being a fool. Uh, and it wasn't until there was a commanding officer and a command master chief that saw that I was struggling. I um, 
They saw that I was acting out and I actually verbally told them uh, that I was trying to get kicked out one weekend. How old were you? 19 years old, yeah, 18, 19 years just old. Just a kid. Yeah. Um, and they saw something. They they saw that I, I liked to work, but I just wasn't yeah. uh, adapting well. And so they gave me an option. They said, we can kick you out. We can send you on deployment. And you'll be right back. Or we can let you choose another rate. And uh, I chose option three and became a corpsman. Wow. And you that was a good decision for you? It was it was the best decision. I went off to core school. Uh, at the time, they had an accelerated pace program. So I applied for that, finished the school in, in eight months, uh, went to field med in Camp Pendleton. And then I saw that there was an opportunity to get to station in Hawaii. And this was 2004. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't paying attention to world events. Mm-hmm. And I, I looked up the unit that I was going to get stationed at in, in Hawaii, Third uh, Marine Division. Third Mardiv. Exactly. So you're a Marine. You were were the Marines. Yeah. yeah. So that's oh, where yeah. I did all my time as a corpsman. Wow. Uh, got out there September 30th, 2004. Uh, they were looking for volunteers to go to Afghanistan, and I said, "I'll go." You ran into the fire. Ran into it. Forgot to tell my family. Oh. Uh, so I called them on Christmas from <laughs> from Afghanistan. Guess where I am? Exactly. <laughs> into harm's way. What did you see there? Uh, that deployment, I was with uh, 3rd Battalion, 3rd Marines. Uh, I was a line company corpsman, E3. And, you know, when you had mentioned that they called us Doc, uh, I didn't earn the name at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I have yet to say this really publicly because it was kind of a, a source of, of of pride, but they would call me Nurse Nasty because I smoked, I ate poorly. Mm-hmm. Um, habits. Yeah. Exactly. I was the most junior person, so I didn't, like, my knowledge and skill set wasn't up there. Mm-hmm. Nurse Nasty? Exactly. Nurse Nasty. The military nasty. always comes up with a name. <laughs> <laughs> and it was their way to try to, you yeah. know, motivate yeah. me. Yeah. And um, luckily I had some senior corpsmen that were a part of the, uh, the, the platoon with me yeah. anytime we went out. So when we did experience combat, uh, they were able to kind of direct me almost as if I was a combat lifesaver. They were just right. like, go do this. Sure. I need you to do that. Sure. Um, and they did the triaging and, and the bulk of the care, which was really helpful because it exposed me to it. And all of us, this for, for most of us, this was our first combat deployment anyways. We were all young Were young you afraid? Guys. Were you scared? Did we think you might die? <laughs> Unfortunately, at the time, I wasn't. It was just, this is what we go do. Did you see death? I did, yeah. Oh, um yeah. You know, I that deployment, I, I saw more than I had actually realized, and I sent mm-hmm. I sent home a a, a disc uh, of our of our combat deployments that one of the Marines had had made, and um, it shocked my family, mm-hmm. and they became very scared for me because mm-hmm. of the images that they saw, and it mm-hmm. just didn't register mm-hmm. for me. I was I was twenty, turning twenty one, doing the thing that I wanted to do. Kids that, think they're immortal. Exactly. Yeah. I, I I remember the f- one of the first combat. Um, small arms fires that we had. We were up on this mountain. We were the QRF for for one of the platoons. We drove out there. We were up on this mountain patrolling, looking for enemies. And all of a sudden, we hear a rocket. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't see it, but we hear it. And I'm I'm in line behind uh, behind our our sergeant, and we hear the explosion after after hearing the rocket. And there's two Blackhawks up up mm-hmm. in the valley. And all of a sudden, I, everything slowed down. And I remember very clearly Sergeant Allison turning around, and he just had this big, what I perceived as a grin on his face, because mm-hmm. it was our first firefight being in country. We were in mm-hmm. country for almost five months at this point. We went mm-hmm. through one of the coldest win- coldest and winter- wettest winters in Afghanistan in, in years. And um, and he just commanded us, okay, we're going to run down the down the mountain, across the riverbed and up the other side where the, where the fire is coming from. And to you just fire. do it. Wow. You Into know? the fire. Yeah. You just, you just you do it. You don't think about fire. it. Right. Oh my gosh. And then you served two tours though. So I did two more after that. So after I got back. Is that your decision or your detailer told you to go? Let's <laughs> sign up for more. Uh, so it was my decision. I got I got back from that deployment in June of 2005. Mm-hmm. Uh, my senior line corpsman came up. He said, hey, they're putting together this thing called a MIT team. Yeah. Uh, military Iraqi transition team. And I want you to be a part of it. Yeah. Um, I picked up E4 just around that. And I guess I was doing well in the training and, and stuff like that. And it meant that I went to be attached to a smaller team. Mm-hmm. And I remember right before the deployment happened that following January, about six months time timeframe, 
um, another corpsman, senior corpsman got added to the team because the team, I was the E4 and the next lowest rank was an E6 mm -hmm. to an O5. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the captains comes up to me and goes, hey, there's another corpsman here. I want you on the team, but you have the option to go back to the battalion. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, like I'm, I'm ready to go right now. Like, let's go. Um, and so we went and I just, I didn't realize what I was signing up for, uh, for that one. Really? Why? The way that I had envisioned it was we were going to be training an Iraqi battalion. Mm -hmm. And so it was going to be on base. We were going to teach them the logistics. We were going to, it was going to be very much an administrative role where we would be setting up classes and I would be teaching combat lifesavers behind the, behind the wire. Mm -hmm. The reality of it is that we were on the, on convoys for about 16 hours a day looking for engagement because the Iraqis don't have training grounds. Their, oh, their training is the firefight. And so you patrol and you, you look for them, you look for the firefights. And so we went out there and there were, usually about five U.S. Uh, service members on the convoy, and I served as a turret gunner for the majority of that deployment. Oh, my gosh. And it just wasn't something that I was mentally prepared to do. And I fought it almost every day, saying, I'm a corpsman. I can't be do in this. turret. Like, I'm not comfortable yeah. firing a weapon at somebody. It's yeah. just not. I can't do it. But I was the junior guy, and I had, had to, to follow orders. Yeah, you had to follow orders. Yep. So at what point did you decide to leave or the Navy ask you to move on or how, how did that work out? So uh, when I got back from that deployment, I, I got meritoriously promoted to E5, uh, was put in charge of creating a training program for, for combat lifesavers and tactical combat casualty care. And my, and my senior leadership kind of managed my PTSD by letting me train the res regiment that was deploying. Mm -hmm. And I ended up going to independent duties corpsman school after that. And one of the agreements that I had made to myself is, was if I made it to a certain rank, I would re-enlist. And so I made it to E5 in my first enlistment. And then f six months later, I, I was uh, uh, capped to E6 as well. You got promoted um, quickly. Yeah. yeah so, uh, that's a good sign. And, and I was trying to, you know, get to master chief one day. Sure. Um, highest enlisted rank. Yep. So when I came back from independent duty corpsman school, I went back out to Hawaii, same unit. Uh, only five of us graduated that school. We started with 20, graduated five. I was second, second in my class. It's very hard. And uh, It's very and, hard. And when I got back out to Hawaii, I went on one more deployment to Afghanistan uh, as a uh, senior NCO uh, with guys under me that I would supervise uh, out on a FOB. So they were doing the frontline work. I was behind making sure everything was good. Um, but I came back from that deployment and that's when I first had my, my first true anxiety attack in a, uh, in a battlefield. Like I felt like I was back on a battlefield, uh, during a training exercise. Um, I had always kind of heard about, you know, flashbacks and, and what it can do to somebody and my reaction out in Bridgeport in the middle of winter, uh, was I curled up into the fetal position my mind was was okay, but my body was not reacting. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the instructors saw me after after everybody started marching their way down down the mountain, and he saw me just like stuck. Mm -hmm. And so he helped me to my feet, and it was just one foot in front of the other. And after that, I started talking to my colleagues about, hey, this this thing happened in the training evolution. Should I go talk to somebody? And their response at the time was no. We're going to pause here. We're going to come back in a few minutes. After this break, I want to continue on your your journey with being struck with post-traumatic stress disorder and what happened, yeah. what led there. So stay tuned on House Calls, Honoring Veterans, and our veteran today, Danny Mayberry. So stay tuned for a quick break, and we'll be right back. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. Who's your doctor? When I was looking for a doctor, I thought, which person gets the best care of all and whose doctor's credentials are the most carefully reviewed? Well, the answer was obvious. Who looks after the President of the United States? 
My doctor is the doctor who is taking care of three presidents and their families. Dr. Connie Mariano. I've heard about her. She's board certified in internal medicine and has been practicing medicine for over 30 years. She was at the White House for over nine years and traveled everywhere with the president. Dr. Connie is available to me 24 hours a day, seven days a week by email, cell phone, or Skype. And when I see her in her private office in Scottsdale, she and her staff always treat me like I'm the president. I'm going to call her office now and join her practice. Dr. Connie Mariano. This is the doctor American presidents and their families have trusted with their lives, and I trust you with mine. For information about Dr. Connie Mariano's private practice, you need to visit drcmariano.com. Are you ready to live younger, longer? Andrew and Aaron Stevens with Apply Everyday Health are partnered with a 100-year-old company to help you build health through natural approaches. Our scientists believe that the key to a healthy lifestyle lies within nature. By using ingredients proven to be safe and effective, our products provide nutrition guaranteed to change your life in a positive way. To find out how you can get the same top-of-the-line vitamins taken daily by Olympic athletes, astronauts, and the White House doctor herself, visit applyeveryday.com. Dr. Connie Mariano is a groundbreaker. She was the White House physician to three presidents, toured the world on Air Force One, and has had countless amazing experiences. The one thing that life didn't prepare her for was becoming a widow. After losing her beloved husband, John, in a tragic accident, Dr. Connie joined the one million women who are widowed in the United States each year. While her journey as a widow has been one of intense grief and sorrow, it has also been one of extraordinary growth and rebirth. Now, Dr. Connie is sharing what she's learned, joined by her knowledgeable guests to help anyone struggling with this deeply personal and often lonely journey of their own. Tune into The Widow's Walk, Thursdays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Want to see what Voice America is up to behind the scenes? Follow us on TikTok at Voice America Talk Radio. You are tuned in to House Calls with former White House physician, Dr. Connie Mariano. If you have a question or comment for our show today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's one 346 9141 You may also send an email to drconnieradio at gmail.com. That's drconnieradio at gmail.com. Now, back to House Calls with Dr. Connie. Welcome back to our November House Calls in which we honor our veterans and the sacrifice they make to our country. A lot of people talk about veterans and it's all in passing. They don't realize the real flesh and blood stories of our veterans and how they struggle in everyday life. And we have somebody here, our, our guests in studio, Danny Mayberry, who is a veteran, served uh, in the U.S. Navy as a hospital corpsman, served tours in Iraq and Afghanistan. And we were last, you know, prior to the break, Danny was sharing how he had had like a flashback after your t- time in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. And what happened? Did, did they know how to treat you? Did you get help? Yeah, so at at the time this was this was January of 2011. Um I came back from that and I spoke with with my colleagues who were who were the battalion surgeons at the time and I said, "Hey, this is this happened. Should I be concerned?" And the response was, "No, don't worry about it. Like, you know, you you made it through. It's okay." And I said, "All right. We're going to con- we're going to continue on. We're preparing for another deployment back to Afghanistan in the fall." And so um that was the mindset that we had. You know, we had our inspections to go through, our pre-workup and then we were going to go uh, the really fortunate thing that had occurred was that same year I, uh, I was married, uh, to a woman and she, and we had decided that she was going to join the Navy as well. She was still trying to figure out what she was going to do post-college. Mm-hmm. And so we were sending her into boot camp uh, that spring. And so I dropped her off at the airport. I went home and just kind of started my weekend routine and I reached for a beer. But the crazy part was, is that I reached into a 30 pack that I had bought the night before and there were only six beers left. Mm. And it was just mm. it was very mm. uh, eye-opening of how much I had drank because mm-hmm. uh, I was the one that was drinking the beer, not my mm-hmm. not my uh, wife at the time. And it scared me because I knew the knucklehead that I was when I was 19 years old in Virginia. Mm-hmm. 
And I knew that I had family members that were alcoholics and I knew what happened in their lives. Yeah. And so I was yeah. very scared. And I was just like, okay, this might be a problem. Yeah, might. So I went into the doctor's office uh, the the following Monday and I was like, look, this is the situation. I am drinking way more than I thought I was. Was this a military-based m- m- yes. clinic, naval yeah. medical clinic? Well, this was across the across the hall from from my office. So I was okay. an IDC and yeah. I worked for the oh, battalion yeah. surgeon. And yeah, <laughs> I was just yeah, like, you know, yes, um, yeah, you know. I, I said, hey, doc. Yeah, and they go, yeah, what, doc? <laughs> um, you know, I I had a problem with drinking when I was 19 years old and almost got kicked out of the Navy for it because mm-hmm. I was just such a knucklehead. Um, I don't want to do that again and potentially lose everything that I've worked hard to mm-hmm. to gain what do I do? And he just recommended that I go talk to um, a substance abuse counselor. DAPA, drug yep. and alcohol Ex- program advisor. E- exactly. Yeah. So I, I did, and they had questionnaires and they had two questionnaires, one about alcohol consumption and the other about PTSD. Mm. And I had a choice. I could be honest or I could lie. Now, when we come back from deployments, we have post-deployment questionnaires and a lot of us lie on those because we want to go, we want to be ready for the next deployment so we say we minimize a lot of the stuff that we go through and as i was sitting there looking at these going like this is kind of a turning point in my life Mm -hmm. and it brought me to tears filling it out honestly because i was i knew what it meant in my personal life Mm -hmm. um and lo and behold they recommended that i go to rehab Uh, i had one side of leadership saying don't do it because if i get in trouble with alcohol one more time in my career i would be kicked out Mm -hmm. and i had a, a wonderful chief saying we will do whatever it takes to take care of you. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about the battalion. Don't worry about the deployment. Mm-hmm. You need to take care of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I followed the second advice, <laughs> said, okay, I'm going to take care of this. Uh, had I known that when I checked into rehab, the recommendation was going to be separation from the military, mm-hmm. I I might not have gone, but it turned out to be the best decision yeah. that, that I made because I stuck with it. Yeah. Um, and I learned so many different tools along the way that still help me to this day, uh, especially because I, I no longer struggle with PTSD, but I have PTSD. Mm-hmm. Um, I no longer struggle with depression, but I have depression. Mm-hmm. And I no longer struggle with my suicidal thoughts, mm-hmm. but they persist even to this day. How many veterans are like you that, that experience this? Do you know? I mean, that experience these types of thoughts and yeah. struggles? Yeah. Too many. Yeah, um, you run into them, you hear about them. I, we were talking last night about suicide. What What's the rate again for veteran suicide? So it is the second leading cause of death for veterans under the age of 45. And it's 100% preventable. And, you know, when when you really look into what, what's going on with suicide, it's a national crisis that affects every American. 48% of Americans are affected by suicide in their life, Mm -hmm. whether they've known somebody or experienced Mm -hmm. their thoughts themselves. Mm -hmm. And then it's not just an American problem. It's a worldwide problem. Why do you think that is? You know, we we can always speculate as as to the reason that people struggle with this, but I think one of the biggest reasons, and you had mentioned it kind of in the beginning of your show, a generation coming back from from a major world event did not talk about their problems. Mm-hmm. They did not talk about the things that they saw. So they pass on that behavior. Mm-hmm. Just be tougher. Just yeah. be stronger. Suck it up. Suck it up, buttercup. Don't talk about them. We all have these problems. Yeah. But when you don't know what these problems are, it's mm-hmm. kind of like going through kind of like going through puberty with your mind because all these changes are happening Mm -hmm. and you're too embarrassed to talk about them because nobody will talk about them. You think you're the only one. Exactly. So you got to name your demons. Mm -hmm. And it's by design. Uh, You know, it's, it's, it's coming back. mm -hmm. So how did you get help? What did you do? Um, Did you go to rehab? So I, so I did a 28 day rehab in Point Loma, Uh um, took the material seriously. Mm-hmm. Uh, the alcohol part was the part that I struggled with the most. Uh, I, I used to show up to our mandatory meetings in there and say, I am Danny. I don't think I'm an alcoholic. I just don't stop drinking once I start. <laughs> <laughs> it was denial. It's not just a river in Egypt. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, um, you know, it took a lot of work to, to get past kind of that first step of saying, Hey, this is a source of problem because, mm-hmm. Uh, and I had to, I had one, um, gentleman help me kind of work through that mentally. He's like, write out what drinking was like 
for you and where it and, and where it brought you each time you drink with every time you could remember drinking. And one of the things that it led me to was there was three different times or the, the, at that point, there were two different times where I was suicidal mm. and both of them were surrounding alcohol. Uh, and it was only by the grace of God that that I didn't go through with the act. First time was was in the Navy at 18, 19 years old, and I was on watch and had a weapon in my hand. And there was an epiphany moment before before I almost followed through that I managed to secure the weapon and go talk to somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the next time was I was on my way home after uh, uh, after being told that I was going to go to rehab. And I just happened to check the mail and there was a letter from a loved one letting me know that they loved me and that they missed, oh. uh, missed seeing me. Yeah. And it was enough to put me to bed that night instead sure. of, instead of walking out into the Somebody ocean. Somebody loved you yeah. out there. Somebody cared about you. Yep. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, it, it, it took a lot of grit and determination and a lot of support. Um, I was fortunate enough to not get medically separated, mm-hmm. um, so that I had enough time to work on my transition out of the military because mm-hmm. I was resolved uh, to get out of the military when, when, <laughs> when they told me that it would lead me down this path, the first thing person I called was my dad. And I said, mm-hmm. Hey dad, this is the situation. Mm-hmm. His response was, I didn't know you had a problem with alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and then I was like, well, what do I do now with my career? And yeah. he said, he said, go do something you love, go be an actor. Um, interesting. I know. <laughs> yeah. And you did. I started pursuing that path, um, until I met my, my current wife, yeah. uh, when I just adjusted and, and went to a, a formal university and uh, started the career path I'm on now. And your career path is what? What are you doing now? So now we're doing the podcast. Uh, it's in communications. We, we, I love sharing the amazing resources that are available to people. I love trying to kind of inspire people. So I usually promote very positive messages uh, with the VA, with nonprofits and now with our work at One Mile One Veteran, we're just looking for the next opportunity to share amazing stories. So how long have you been having your your podcast? How long this you know you developed it? How long has this been going on? So we developed the podcast in 2020 during the pandemic. Uh, I was finishing up my master's degree and just prior to the pandemic I had my third near suicide attempt. And I had kind of discovered in that moment because at the at the time uh, my job was going well. I was getting a master's and our business was growing. Mm-hmm. And and I was a very active member of my church alongside my wife, incredibly supportive community. Mm-hmm. And one weekend, I just decided not to go to a friend's uh, one year, uh, friend's daughter's birthday party. Mm-hmm. And the obsessive thoughts hit me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I, I didn't know where they came from. Mm-hmm. So I ate some dinner. Mm-hmm. I put on one of my favorite shows. I think I, think I put on The Office and, and mm-hmm. had some mm-hmm. laughs. The, the the thoughts persisted and then developed even further that night to the point where I was planning mm-hmm. when this was going to happen. I was mm-hmm. like, okay, well. And how you do it? And how I would do it and how I would prepare my wife to to not find me and, mm-hmm. and kind of make all the appropriate yeah. arrangements so that this was as l- provided as little trauma as possible. So you were really thinking about it. Yeah. I, I started practicing. Yeah. Um, and... It, it, it was rough because that that night I knew that my wife was coming home and I was like, all right, well, let me get to bed. Like when I wake up, these thoughts will be gone. I'll go for a run in the morning. And and it persisted again. Went to church. In church, it persisted. And it was Super Bowl Sunday and we had plans to go to a friend's house. And I was like, okay, well, maybe going to a friend's house, mm-hmm. like I'll be able to change. And as we were walking home from church, um, I looked at my wife and I was like, I have to talk to you before we before we go and I let her know what was on my mind. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I told her, it, 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 it was, it was just a complete shift. As soon as I told her the exact thoughts that were going on in my mind and what mm-hmm. I was planning, mm-hmm. they were gone. Took the power away. Took the power away. Yeah. They were gone. She, she was trying to figure it out. Yeah. Um, she called the crisis line, then Good. put me on the phone with the crisis line. We called our pastors. We, but for me, I, I, I was a completely different person. She was a wreck at the time. Sure. Um, but because I was in my master's program, we had to work on a student project. And that was kind of the birth of the idea of One Mile, One Veteran. Because what I learned in that moment was suicide isn't something that we willingly do. It's something that happens to us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, people don't commit suicide. We die by it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it 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 takes it takes a tremendous amount of uh, mental illness to follow through with something because we do everything in our power to fight for life. Mm-hmm. You know, and our natural instinct. Exactly. Yeah. And so for us to sit there and think that people willingly do this. Yeah. It's like a dark cloud coming over you. Yeah. And you it's... can't get rid of it. You can't but you dispersed it by telling somebody about it. Exactly. And so once once you're able to identify your yeah. problem, the thing yeah. that's bringing you down, and and just talk about it. And it wasn't a, a crisis moment. It hasn't been a crisis moment since. It's just this is what's going on. There's there's no f- fixing it. Um, for for the next two years, I, I did um, do some deep counseling and try to get over depression. Mm-hmm. Um, and within two years, I was up to eighteen pills a day for the first time ever since getting sober. So the, for the first time in ten years of recovery. Um, I was I was embracing the medical treatment of mm-hmm. it, and that was just leading me further and further depressed. Mm-hmm. I, I was putting on tons and tons of weight. I'm still working off that weight here two years later, but mm-hmm. um, you know I haven't needed medication in the last two years since we or in the last year and a half since we started One Mile One Veteran because it's just something that we talk about in a very comfortable easy way within our lives within our community and then we invite other people to start having a more intentional conversation mm-hmm. around how they're feeling and what's going on in their minds and if it turns dark for a moment that's okay it doesn't need to live there do you do you still go to the VA and get treatment or are you, you and you go to do you go to AA do you you got the church you've got all the things that you know what's worked for you so it's been a combination. Yeah. You know, there's there there's no one thing. I have I have the church to meet my spiritual needs and the service commitments that I like to make. I have AA as um it's kind of like my home, mm-hmm. but I don't live like I don't live there anymore. Mm-hmm. Um I go back to visit like you go back and visit your parents. It's like mm-hmm. this is the place that taught me so much mm-hmm. and I will always recommend anybody in their early stages of exploring sobriety mm-hmm. to go into a recovery type group 12 step program. Mm-hmm. And give it a chance for at least twelve months because it, if yeah. if you, if you earnestly commit, it'll change your life. Yeah. If you if you write it off from the beginning, you're you're not yeah. going to experience any results. And then I have um, I have my my close friends and support groups, veteran support groups, that uh, were able to share the ups and the downs. And you know when I when I tell a group of veterans that I uh, because we're on the road, my current support group is virtual. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've only met a few of the guys in person, but, uh, you know, when I tell them, I was like, Hey, I have an anniversary coming up and I might get quiet. I might not turn on the camera, yeah, yeah. but just know that I'm here okay. and know that you're helping me. But you, you know, know, they're out there. Exactly. It's like that letter you got that somebody loved you and they care for you. Exactly. So what do you want to see happen? What's your wish? So my, my hope, especially mm-hmm. through one mile, one veteran is people realize how simple life is it may not be easy especially in those moments yeah but like these crises no longer become a crisis because we learn that they're they're just thoughts and if we start sharing them within a community that we've built a community of Mm -hmm. our own choosing Mm -hmm. then we'll actually be able to start making progress in our life and sometimes we have to choose a community that's focused on good things Mm -hmm. instead of those that are constantly complaining and talking about all the different problems that there are we want to build them up um and with one mile one veteran we try to make that as simple as possible get outside get off the couch mm-hmm. give it 20 minutes mm-hmm. that's it commit to to freeing your mind for 20 minutes listen to an amazing story of a veteran that's done some amazing things after mm-hmm. service um because there's so many of us and you know one of the overwhelming messages at the end of the show i always ask like what's a word of hope that you would have for somebody that may be experiencing a crisis yeah. and the answer is very but the one that's been kind of consistent is you are not alone and i used to think like you are not alone oh i have people that will support me that's not that that's a part of it mm-hmm. but the real part of you are not alone is that you're not the only one you're not the only one to have experienced loss. Mm-hmm. You're not the only one to have transitioned out of the military. You're not the only one to have fought in a war. Yeah. You're not the only one that needs or wants help. Mm-hmm. 
And there's so many people out there willing to help. It's amazing what you're doing to, to help so many people. How many of you reach? Can you tell from as long as your podcast, how many people have been out there listening? Yeah. So we we have um, overall through our, through our social media channels, our Patreon and our podcast, we, we have about a, a rough engagement of anywhere from 60,000 uh, people inter- interacting to 131,000. Wow, that's great. That's amazing. And I would lo- I know and I would love to hear from all of them however uh you know my my phone number is not necessarily listed for the yeah. general public yeah. the most amazing thing that we've experienced is we have people that we have met in person and they said they've now incorporated walking walking to our podcast as mm-hmm. part of their daily routine Wonderful. and it's and it's helped them and and you know we've managed to help a few people through their crises that's amazing a lot of times you never hear about it till later Right. You yeah. don't know all the people you don't know of. Yeah. But you made a difference. You stopped them. And they said, no, I'm not doing it. Yeah. I'm not doing it right now. Exactly. So what's what's up for you now? What's the next chapter of your life look like? You're traveling to 50 states. Are you speaking? You said you're you're doing an event in November. So um, we are hopefully we're planning on it. We need people's support. So if you're listening and you're able to support us on Patreon, please do that now, because my wife and I. When we started this last year, we sold our home. We said, okay, we, we're going to be able to get X amount of money for our home in Hawaii. We went and we lived for $900 a month in rent in different places of the world. We cut our living expenses as much as we possibly mm-hmm. could to do this and use the money that we could make from our from our home sale. Mm-hmm. But next year, we can probably make it for about three more months of the actual cross-country trip mm-hmm. without people's support. So people, mm-hmm. support us on Patreon in, in whatever way you can. And um, we're hoping to get to all 50 states and raising money for a nonprofit called Objective Zero. That's our that's our big goal is to... Uh, Objective Zero is a mm-hmm. company that was founded by a Army battalion commander and his wife. Mm-hmm. And it's an app of laymen. Uh, lay people, everyday people within your community that receive training in suicide prevention. Wow. You go on the app, see if you're in a crisis and you connect sure. with someone. And within a couple of minutes, somebody will somebody that has been trained and, and is a member of your community. It's not some doctor. It's not right. some crisis counselor. It's somebody that's been in your shoes. Wow. Is will will reach out to you and you can start messaging with them right there. Um and so we're hopefully going, or we will be raising money for them next year. And we're hoping to go to all 50 states, walk at least one mile in each of those states, and just let people know that life is simple. People want to help. Where did you find these folks who do uh, the, Objective uh, Zero? Objective Zero. How did they find you? So we were introduced through a mutual partner out in Hawaii. And then when USAA came up with Face the Fight, we saw that they were part of Face the Fight. Oh, wow. Yeah. And uh, they just they just received um, some some grants from USAA to be able to continue their mission for for a bit longer. Uh, they've been around, I think, since like 2016 or something like wow. that. Wow! So you ran into this community of people who are out there doing what you're doing. Oh my gosh! And it's in every state. Like this is they don't realize it. This yeah. is the wild part. Like especially when it comes to mental health and suicide prevention specifically, mm-hmm. is in every community. It's not just a national thing. It is a public health crisis within yeah. every community. And I didn't know that every state has what they call a governor's challenge to fight suicide prevention. Yeah. Right. And so it's available for civilians as well as military. The crazy part with military veterans and military members is that there are way more resources because veterans mobilize. Mm -hmm. We Mm -hmm. connect. Mm -hmm. We connect with one another. We have a shared experience. Mm -hmm. And so we have an internal network. But there's also the civilian side. There's the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. There's the Red Cross. There's the Blue Cross. There's all of these different organizations that are available. So whatever community you choose to be a part of, it's right there in your community. And you don't necessarily have to look at a national level. Just look locally. Do you do you give advice? I mean, you'd mentioned civilians. I mean, so there's only a fraction of veterans. But do you get asked by other people in the civilian community? About suicide prevention, do they talk to you about that? Yeah, so that was that was one of our first people that we helped. As soon as I started speaking in my own community, yeah. uh, one of one of the uh, a member of my old church had reached out and said, "Hey," he called me in the middle of a crisis. He said, "This, I'm losing everything, mm-hmm. losing my job, losing my house, losing my reputation within my community. I messed up," and he owned it. He said, "I did something wrong." Mm-hmm. I don't know what to do. Can you come over? Mm-hmm. 
And I went over there and we sat down and he was just like, you know, what do I, what do I do? And I was like, one, realize that this will pass. Give it time. People have a short memory. Let's take away the ability for you to be impulsive. So he had, he had a weapon and he gave his weapon to, to somebody else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I was like, and I would advise you at least while you're in the middle of this crisis, probably not have any drinks. Mm -hmm. Like let's, let's reduce your ability to act impulsively. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the third thing was stay connected with somebody mm -hmm. that you know loves, cares, and will provide no judgment for you. And honestly, for, for anybody listening, that is most people that have ever told you that they love you. There's no judgment there. Mm -hmm. You know, you can share with them anything, the, the worst of what you've done. And while it may be the worst thing in your mind, people are going to be able to hear you. Mm -hmm. And so um, that was the advice. I was like, find the people that you can talk to. And I'm still one of those people for him. Good for uh, you. Good you for know? doing that. And we and we were talking back in September, um, which was a year uh, of us doing One Mile, One Veteran, a year after his crisis. And he goes, I couldn't have imagined my life being as good as it is today when I was in the middle of that crisis. You got him through the roughest time. Can't believe our hour is almost oh over. Oh my goodness! <laughs> you know, I want to thank you again for your service. You hear it said often, and it's at to the point. Some people think it's trite, but it's not. I really thank you for your service and and your sacrifice. Likewise. What you went through your whole your whole life, how it changed. But even more admirable is what you're doing with your pain. I, I always say, may my pain be somebody's gain. That you went through it, and that you're reaching out with with um, one mile, one veteran, and objective zero, and and encouraging people to to support that, to do something for themselves through your podcast, Walking a Mile, but also helping other people who are struggling with depression, alcohol, PTSD, but definitely suicide, because the rates have increased among people with COVID and isolation and stress. It's a, as you know, it's a tough time. Yeah. You know, there's war again in the Middle East. There's all the things that are going on. You've seen war. And you know, that, that you're actually doing something to help people out there who are struggling. So thank you for that. And, and God bless you. And, and I want to thank Leanne for being your partner and making this happen as well. So I'm going to sign off now. Anything else you want to say to the veterans and the listeners on our station before we sign off, Danny? You know, I just, um, I hope that if you are, uh, somebody that is struggling or know somebody that is struggling, turn them on to one mile, one veteran. It's 20 minutes out of your day to go for a walk, clear your head. And then afterwards, give somebody a call. Just have a pleasant conversation because you're going to need that individual in a time of crisis. Amen. That's the right thing to say. Well, thanks again and happy, happy Veterans Day. And, and to all of you listening, thanks for listening in and we'll talk to you next month. Take care and God bless you all. Thank you again for joining us this week for House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. We'll be back next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a terrific week.